0: tax season formally ended april 15th and most of us don't want to give another thought to our taxes until the end of the year but april 15th is also the approximate date the research council releases its annual update to our comprehensive guide to michigan taxation so if you can handle just a little more tax talk keep listening this is facts matter the citizens research council of michigan podcast I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 103 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way to for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmish.org. So let's talk taxes. Joining me now is our researcher Jordan Newton, who is the principal author of the um, Outline of the Michigan Tax System, which is our most popular download of this year and any year. Um, Jordan, have you ever talked to anybody or given any thought to what it is about this that makes it, Uh, so popular? Is it just that we've gone to the work of gathering all of this information and put it in one fairly easy to access place?
1: I think that has a lot to do with it. The ability to just kind of go through and if you have questions on specific taxes, uh, it's pretty easy to go through. Um, You know, people will have questions about specific taxes they might be asked to pay, whether it's a special assessment, their property tax, the income tax, And there's, you know, a lot to kind of navigate to kind of figure out that information. Uh, The outline gives people the ability to just kind of go to one place, find where it's located in Michigan's legal code, get a little bit of a description of how it works, and give them a resource to be able to go to to learn about it. And it also gives, you know, quick reference if you have questions about specifics, on some of these taxes, like how much did we collect from this tax in a given year, or what's the tax rate, or what's kind of the history of some of these revenue collections. And so it's a lot of information that's compiled into a nice, easy to manage form that otherwise isn't very consistently accessible elsewhere.
0: Right. Um, And when I said before that you were the author of um, this year's update, I should probably say you are the person who maintains it <laughs> and who updated yeah, I, it this year because we have been the citizens research council has been doing the update continually since 1963 i believe
1: yeah it's been published and updated since well before i was born so uh calling me the sole author is not entirely true but i'm the one who's primarily updating and keeping track of new legislation uh and giving a little bit of uh context behind some of the new changes. Okay.
0: So do you ever, have you ever received any feedback on um what people use it for and, you know, who are its primary um users? <laughs>
1: There's quite a broad uh, group or different groups of people that use it. I've you know, talked to other researchers that have said that they use it as a reference to kind of look through some of the things when they might be writing a quick piece or a blog post on a tax and they want a little bit of background information for something they haven't looked at for a while. Uh, citizens have called and asked us about certain taxes and we've kind of directed them to this because it gives them a lot of the answers that they're asking. Uh, you know, legislators can use it to kind of get a brief, quick introduction to attacks that they might not be as familiar with or to look at some of the history of things that might have changed when they weren't part of the legislature so that they can get a better understanding of how things used to work versus how they work now. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really a quite broad group of people uh, people that actually use the outline
0: Hmm. okay okay well uh let's get to uh the 2019 edition right now um the report is the main part body of the report is actually um separate entries for each of the 64 separate taxes that are authorized by the state of michigan is that I'm right there 64 correct
1: yeah it's yeah it's 64 it's 61 that are currently being used and three others that are authorized but are no longer being levied for one reason or another
0: okay so um, so we that's the bulk of this report and the um, introduction is kind of what's different this year so um, I think we we talked earlier um, offline that um, given that this is the or this 2018 was the last year of the Snyder administration um, and their tax policy was pretty much implemented in his first term. Um, there wasn't a lot of really big stuff coming down at the state level and the federal system was the big driver this year. So the biggest change probably began in Washington. So let's start there. We're talking about the, of course, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which was passed in the final days of 2017 by um, the Congress and signed into law by President Trump. Um, tell us a little bit about what that did for Michigan taxing.
1: So Michigan based its personal exemption on the federal uh, exemption of the same name. So, uh, when you file your taxes, you get uh, to exempt a certain amount of income for the number of dependents, including yourself and, and yourself uh, and spouse if you have one in your household if you're filing jointly. Um, and so, you get to exempt a certain amount of money from your income from taxation uh, when the federal tax code. Uh, changes went into effect they changed the way that the federal exemption works and they actually reduced it to zero for all years uh, or for all future years and that made it a little bit ambiguous as to whether or not uh, Michigan which based its uh, status for the number of exemptions you were able to claim based off of the federal exemption uh, whether or not people would still qualify for the state exemption Uh, because they might not even have the um, checkbox on the federal form anymore. So that made it a risk that the state's exemption would disappear. Uh, While changing the uh, way that it worked in our tax code, they also decided to expand it slightly uh, over time. So there's a gradual increase to the personal exemption that the state offers between uh, or as we move forward.
0: Okay, so that wasn't um, that really. I mean, that was a big change, but it 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 was mainly just a, a matter of um, putting in in into policy into um, into law what had been there all along. So, you know, just we're no longer in a court in in lockstep with the feds on that one. So, okay, so that's that. Um, there was also I, I know a lot of us do. Uh, online shopping and we seem to do more every year and that raises the tricky uh, matter of sales tax because in general when you buy stuff uh, or in the past when you bought stuff online or even by mail order I'm sure some people probably still do that you didn't necessarily have to pay sales tax um, on an interstate purchase so but that changed this year explain that decision
1: yeah, so the previous federal interpretation required that a seller have a physical presence in a state before the state could actually re- require them to collect and remit sales tax on purchases. Uh, Michigan then instituted the use tax to, or as part of this to re- require that any purchases that were made from out-of-state vendors would still require the same tax rate to kind of prevent any sort of increase or incentive to shop outside of the state. But there's, you know, the problem that there's no real way to enforce compliance on that. Uh, And several other states have had this problem over the years since the court made its original decision. Uh, Last summer, the court decided uh, on a decision of South Dakota versus Wayfair that that previous precedent is basically no longer or basically no longer holds. And any uh, organization that does a significant amount of business in a state, whether it has a physical presence or has, uh, does a certain amount of business with customers in that state are also now required to remit and collect and remit sales tax uh, if the state. So, decrees.
0: Right. And that, that makes, I mean, that certainly makes much more sense than relying on kind of self-reported, um, sales for use tax because, you know, I, I try to be very honest in my dealings with the, uh, with the various revenue, um, collectors in my life. But, you know, when you sit down to do your taxes and you see, well, did you, um, you know, you buy you buy stuff year round um, online or or from out of state, and then suddenly you have to suddenly you know figure out how much how much that might have amounted to and what you might owe on it. And I think most people do what most people do, which is just kind of like say no, oh, nope, nope, I didn't have any of that. I bought everything. <laughs> I bought everything at my neighborhood retailer. And like you said, there's no way to announce or to uh, enforce that one. So so that was probably. Um, a big one that would affect us in sort of our day-to-day lives. Um, Let's talk marijuana. We made the momentous decision as voters this year to legalize adult or marijuana for adult recreational use, and that triggered some changes in the medical marijuana taxation and as well as with recreational marijuana taxation. Let's go through those.
1: Yeah, so the new law uh, that was passed legalizing uh, adult use of non-medical marijuana um, provided for a, a, an additional excise tax on marijuana sales at a uh, 10% rate. Um, the previous legislation that authorized a tax on medical marijuana, which was the only type of sale that was previously legal in the state, Said, uh, added a sunset clause that if the state ever legalized recreational marijuana use, uh, that tax would sunset 90 days after uh, it took effect. And for uh, so the cur- the new tax doesn't actually tax or it doesn't apply to medical sales. Right. And so it le- leads to a situation now where. Uh, as of early March, the tax on uh, medical marijuana sales had sunsetted, and so there's no sales tax or no uh, excise tax on medical marijuana purchases, but there will be an excise tax on non-medical purchases
0: right the as future. the as the um, the regulatory framework for um, recreational marijuana shapes up over the course of the next year, right Exactly, okay. exactly. okay. All right. And then then finally the other big change uh, is probably one that most of us don't notice. Um it's 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 more of a, a one for the for the administrators to figure out and that is how Michigan raises uh its funds for its um Medicaid matching. Medicaid matching funds, whatever. Uh, <laughs> can you go through that too? That was
1: Yeah, so Michigan has a relatively long history of trying to figure out how to best raise funds uh, by taxing uh, care providers uh, for health insurance uh, in a way that is acceptable by the federal government. There are a couple of regulations that are in place uh, at the federal level to ensure that state tax codes don't try to provide for an increase on in tax on organizations that are funded by Medicaid dollars because, in effect, that means that the state is using dollars it gets from the feds to pay the matching dollars. And so it can increase the revenue that it draws down by using money that those organizations would otherwise get back. Uh, so previously, when the use tax was applied to uh managed care organizations, Uh, the federal government decided that that was uh, an illegal way or decided it was something that they were going to disallow for uh, future years, which resulted in the health insurance claims assessment. Uh, That law was due to sunset in 2020, uh, meaning that the state had to figure out how it wanted to uh, place. And uh, take fees from those organizations. Uh, and eventually, this year, last year, it settled on this insurance provider assessment fee, which is designed in such a way that it uh, meets federal requirements.
0: Okay, yeah. So that's, that's a little a little dense <laughs> yeah, it, it,
1: it gets a little complicated there's a formula that it has to meet uh so that the feds accept it because they're not uh, applying it in a universal and uh, broad-based fashion uh but that gets so into the details that you know right. even a lot of the people working in the tax field aren't 100 percent clear on how that works yeah okay
0: so now let's uh let's get into some of the arcana here i um You know, I'm, (laughs) this is about as far from my personal interests um, as it's possible to be. And yet I found it fascinating to sort of page through this document and look at some of the, all of the different things that um, Michigan taxes and some of the surprising amounts that um, it's able to collect on these. And I guess the, you know, the big theme, and this isn't really, this isn't news at all, but it's that sin, so-called sin taxes are, are really lucrative in, in this state. Um, taxation on things like gambling, on, um, casino gambling, on horse race gambling, on liquor, on, you know, cigarettes and so forth. It, it raises a lot of money. Um, I can see why the city of Detroit is so, um, high on its uh uh casinos. Um the three casinos, the Detroit gaming tax brings in something like close to 180 million dollars a year for that city. And you know, Detroit needs every penny it can get its hands on.
1: Uh yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's not something that, or it's something that's optional. And so there's a little bit, it's a little bit easier for people to justify it. It's not like uh, taxing income or taxing uh, property, where those are typically things that are difficult to avoid. It's something where, you know, there's perceived negatives to go along with things like alcohol, cigarette use, uh, and now marijuana, where I think there's a little bit of a psychological thing that people are more accepting of those taxes,
0: right? And it has it has you know all of these things, these you know gambling and and drinking and smoking marijuana and smoking cigarettes. They all have downsides that end up costing uh, society as well. You know, public health. Um, you know, addiction. Behavior, you know, there's 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 a lot that these these things also end up costing on the back end, and so it makes sense to tax them. And like you said, they're seen as a little more voluntary. If you really don't want to pay the cigarette tax, quit smoking. You know, it'll do it'll do your health uh, a world of good. So we uh, mentioned a little earlier that in terms of policy change, 2018 was not very momentous. Um, this was the last year of the Snyder administration. He had a lot of big changes to make to Michigan taxation early in his um, in his tenure as governor. Um, starting when he was elected in twenty ten, he made those changes, and so there wasn't a lot to do in the last year. He was he was kind of playing out his string that way. However, we have a new governor now, and most of the news that has come out of the Whitmer administration so far this year has been about changes that she would like to see to Michigan taxation. So, can we look ahead um, with all the caveats in place that uh, these are just proposals, that nothing has been voted on, that nothing is necessarily going to happen? but we know that she has plans. Can we talk about her plans a little bit?
1: Yeah. So there were a couple of broad proposals in the uh, executive budget that, you know, there's obviously some question as to what exactly is going to pass because it is just the executive budget. It's not the finalized version. So the legislature uh, has to get on board as well. Uh, But a lot of proposals that kind of reflect some of the things that Governor Whitmer promised on the campaign trails. Uh, the first thing that comes to people's mind is the $0.45 cent per gallon gas tax increase. Uh, right. That is something that, you know, if you look at the $2.5 billion a year need for Michigan roads, uh, it's it gets to that number and is one of those uh, things that uh, will... Uh, significantly increase the revenue that comes in from the state's tax system right um a couple of the other reforms that'll have some effect but not nearly as large there's the repeal of what's called the pension tax or the retirement tax but really it's the way that the state taxes uh retirement income um rather than a pension tax or retirement tax uh Prior to 2011, uh, retirement income received a lot of benefits. Public pensions were completely exempt. Private uh, retirement benefits had uh, significant tax favorability through larger exemptions than what uh, non-retirement income does. And so there was you know a significant difference. The Snyder administration, as part of their broader tax reform, decided to uh, – End some of those uh, different treatments and instead give a unitary flat exemption to retirees. And so, one of the proposals that Governor Whitmer has made has been to basically revert back to pre 2011 uh, taxation of those benefits.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: another issue that has come up is this pass through entities tax. Uh, the governor has proposed uh, instead of having, uh, taxes on corporation or on non C corporations. So this is S corporations, LLCs, and other types of pass through entities. Uh, currently they're taxed on Michigan's, uh, individual income tax. So that revenue isn't taxed at an entity level. It's taxed at an individual level. Uh, the proposal would provide a credit for your income through one of those organizations, uh, Equal to the income brought in, and instead tax it at an entity level by creating a new tax hmm. uh, that would also match or increase the tax rate to six percent to match the current corporate income tax rate. Uh, one of the reasons that this proposal was made is due to changes in the federal tax law. Uh, you can no longer uh, you can no longer exempt an unlimited amount of personal income tax paid to state government but corporate income functions a little bit differently in terms of the way that you're able to have exemptions uh, for payments to state and local governments. And so the theory is by taxing it at an entity level, uh, those organizations would be able to save on their federal tax bill while paying a little bit higher of a bill to the state. I see. Um, So on net, the amount of tax increase to state business would be smaller than it would be if you were to just increase the rate. Okay. Um, and then uh, the final major piece is a proposed increase to the earned income tax credit, which is a credit provided to the working poor uh, that scales up for the first uh, couple thousand, uh, tens of thousand, or $10,000, to about, that depending on the number of children and whether or not you're filing singly or jointly, uh, a couple thousand dollars more than that of income, it matches it at a percentage basis of your income and then starts to phase out as your income reaches higher levels. Uh, this is based on a federal uh Credit, which is by uh, goes by the same name, Michigan provides a credit of six percent of whatever the federal level is. Uh, the governor's proposal would be to increase that to twelve percent. Okay. Uh, in the past, it's been as high as twenty percent here in Michigan.
0: Okay, and all of this is, um, you know, lies ahead in the legislative year as she um, tries to um, get this stuff enacted. So. We have a lot to look forward to, and you'll have a lot to update for next year, um but until then, let's sort of uh, draw this discussion to a close. <laughs> did you have to pay this year? Yes, me yes. too um, yeah, okay <laughs> so I have to change my w four so <laughs> that's just <laughs> just one of those things. Tax season though is over um and uh, we're all looking forward to spring. Jordan, thank you so much for doing this, and of um, I will see you around, so okay. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right. And that will do it for another edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. If you'd like to see the 2019 outline of the Michigan tax system, go to our website crcmich.org and download it. It's right at the top of the homepage. Remember, the council operates as a public resource and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download there too. We operate as a nonprofit through the generosity of Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website and click on the contribution button on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmich at org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about.